here to sugarcoat I'm sorry about you Too much shelter causes pain Let's just be real honest Things are gonna knock you down Avoidance will not help you out Let's talk it through you, me and you Let's keep it real honest Hello and welcome to Real Honest, the podcast where we share candid thoughts and feelings about life, love, and relationships, God and church, adulting, the workplace, and everything in between. I am your host, Samantha Labatt, and you may not always like me, but I'll always be honest with you. I release new episodes every Wednesday at 6 a.m. Central Time, give or take, to be perfectly honest, (laughs) but we're here. We're trying it. We're doing our best. I guess it would be more accurate for me to say that when I release an episode, it will always be on a Wednesday at 6 a.m. Central Time, but I will not guarantee you that there will be an episode released every week this calendar year. I did not release one last week because I wasn't feeling well, um, and I chose sleep over recording this podcast. So I do think that in anything that you do in life, consistency is key, and that consistency doesn't have to necessarily be daily or weekly. It just needs to be consistent. So I'm kind of going to take February as the trial um, because January seminary just started last Monday on January 22nd. So early January, I had more time for other things. And now that I am um, in school, I also have work is typically really slow January and February. So as work starts to pick up and I get into the swing of like the height of work being busy and the height of school being busy, I will see how much time I have left. And if I make um, a drastic change as like, I'm only going to release an episode once a month, um, or even if I switch to bi-weekly or whatever it is, um, I'll let you guys know. But currently the plan is still weekly. I just was sick last week. All right. So goals check in. I am recording this on January 29th, releasing it on the 31st, which will be the day that my first chapter of my book is due to my friends. It is complete. It's done. It's ready to send them. Um, I actually thought about sending it to them early because, early last week, I was feeling really inspired and I did a lot of writing and I got really excited about it. And I was like, oh, cool. Maybe I'll write two chapters this month. Um, but then toward the end of last week, I got really busy and didn't have time. And I was like, I'm super glad that I got that burst of energy, um, when it, when I had it, because I was able to get the work done that I have not had time to do, uh, toward the end of the month. So I chose not to send the chapter to my friends when I finished it because I already have a schedule that I'm going to send it to them on the last day of every month. And so if I finish more than a chapter, I'm not going to send them anything incomplete. So I should say if I finish two or more chapters in one month, I will send them as many chapters as I have done that month. But I didn't want to set the precedent of like sending it to them like the second week of January and then trying to shift the schedule to be like, oh, the second week of February, because no, I gave myself four weeks to write one chapter. And sometimes I'm going to write every week and sometimes I'm only going to write one week and it just kind of depends on how it goes. But my goals check in is that I did complete my biggest goal in the month of January, which is awesome. And I'm really excited about, um, I find the, I like the writing process. I find it really interesting. I don't like (laughs) sitting down and typing like that is not fun to me. 
Um, I have a rough outline of my book, but I really don't like to write to outline because usually once I get in and I start writing the scenes, there are new things that come up. Um, so just for an example, like something that I changed about my book is, um, as most of you know, my book is my series is about secret agents and training at boarding school. And so originally I wanted to start the series in my main character's second year of school. And she, the school is a five-year program. And the reason that I wanted to start in her second year of school is because I wanted to have room for her to grow so that I could write more books and make it a series. So I didn't want her to be like at the end. Um, but I also didn't want to spend a lot of time explaining things to her. Like I find it really, I was going to say boring, but honestly it depends on how the author does it. But usually I find it boring when the main character like steps into this brand new world and like things constantly have to be explained to them. So you can think of Harry Potter, for example, where like Harry has no idea that he's a wizard. And of course, I think that it's done really well, but I also think that it lowers the rereadability and rewatchability because I'm tired. I'm like, yes, Harry, you're a wizard. <laughs> like, come on, move on. And I just, my favorite Harry Potter books and movies, I do love the like magic and wonder of the early two, where it's just kind of like watching, whether you're watching the movies or reading the books, but seeing the characters experience the Grand Hall for the first time, like all of that is really fun. Um, but my personal preference is more like the middle ones where it's kind of like, okay, they know their way around Hogwarts, they're comfortable, but they've still got learning to do. Um, and that's kind of the sweet spot for me when it comes to YA and my book is YA. So that was part of it. Like, I just didn't want to spend a whole lot of time explaining things to her and have her be confused all the time. Um, I also was watching Shonda Rhimes's masterclass and she talks about how the character of Quinn was created on Scandal. So for those of you who have seen Scandal and don't know, Olivia Pope is based off of a real person that Shonda Rhimes interviewed. Um, and so all of the characters that you see in season one, all of the members of Pope and Associates are all based off of real people that Shonda was able to interview while she was writing this show, except for Quinn. Um, and Quinn was a character that Shonda added, and she said it was because the world of Pope and Associates of like them being DC fixers, like in season one, episode one. She throws you into this world where they are a well-oiled machine. You can tell that these people have all been working together for a long time. They know what they're doing. They're good at their job. People trust them. Um, and so she said, the just reading through the script, it was clear that the audience was going to have a lot of questions of like, well, how long have these people been working together? How did this get established? Like, where did what happened in the lives of all of these members of Pope and Associates that made Olivia take them under her wing? Like, how did she build this company? And so 
Quinn is the character that comes in brand new, has no idea what's happening and asks all of these questions of like, what's your guy's relationship to each other? Like, do you sleep? Everybody has a secret. Okay. And it's kind of like it, it makes it easier for the audience to have these questions, to have a character that is voicing their questions. Cause it's kind of the writers are saying, we see you, we hear you, we know, and all will be revealed as opposed to not having that character leaves the viewer kind of more confused. So I do also have a character in my book who is new and is that person to ask all the questions, but she doesn't have a purpose outside of that. Like she never, she never grows and becomes more important. So it's kind of like after she asks all the questions and people explain things to her, then it's kind of like, all right, why is she here? Um, So that's why I ultimately decided to just go ahead and start my series in the first year of spy school. Um, so that is what I'm working on this year is I'm going back and writing year one. Um, a lot of it I've already written because I have a lot of flashback scenes in my book too of her telling people something that happened in the first year. So that was another reason of why I decided to do this is cause I don't like to have too many flashbacks. Um, and that's just been an interesting thing to do with figuring out like how I want this stuff to work. But so anyway, while I'm writing the beginning of book one, there are a lot of things, there are a lot of decisions that I made in book two that no longer make sense. So for example, in, um, in book two, the one that's currently completed, I've got a main character who is like, she goes to spy school. She's not from a spy family. Like her parents are regular people that have regular jobs And they have no idea that she goes to spy school. Like this whole thing is a secret. And she and her mom are insanely close. So she, um, she lies to her mom all the time when it comes to school. And she and her dad were really, really close until he left when she was eight. And so she has not had any contact with her dad in the last eight years because she's now 16. So as I have pulled back and I'm starting a year earlier in the story, starting with year one, I've got to ask myself questions like if she and her mom are super close, like how does that make sense for her to get into this school and her mom to be paying for it and have absolutely no idea what she's learning? Like how, how was the school found? How did she get there? Um, And so I ultimately decided that it makes more sense if her mom is very wealthy, but they're not close. Like if she has the kind of mom who's just like, oh, you need money for something, here you go, but is very hands off when it comes to parenting. Um, She's always been an only child. I kept her as an only child. Um, And then same thing with her dad. I really did not have room in book two for her to be searching for her dad. And I feel like if her, if she and her dad had been really close and then one day he just up and left, then I feel like it would be more realistic of a story point that she would spend a significant time of her adolescence and early adulthood looking for him. So, but I have a way bigger story going on and I don't have time for her to do that. So then I was thinking, okay, 
I need her to be mad at him then. Like I need something to have happened where it makes sense that she's not looking for him and not thinking about him because he's also not a character that is prominent in this book. Like he's, it's just for backstory. So that's the kind of stuff that I spend a lot of time on that I really enjoy doing is just sitting and asking myself like, okay, so if you want that to happen, what makes the most sense? Like you need to write a scene where she gets accepted to spy school. What does that look like? Does she get a letter in the mail? Does she get an email? does somebody tell her and if somebody does tell her who is it like who's in the room with her where is she when she gets the news how does she react to that and I love like just sitting and asking these questions and answering these questions um I don't love (laughs) sitting and writing it out but usually if I spend enough time answering all those questions and figuring it out then the scene just kind of writes itself um which is also I know I talk about Shonda Rhimes a lot because I just love her but Something that she also mentions in her masterclass is that her stories kind of write themselves. Like she, they, she ruminates on them. They're kind of like cooking in the back of her head. And then when the story's fully baked is when she sits down and writes it. Um, And that's kind of how I do too. Like I'll think about it for days or weeks. And then when the scene is fully ready is when I'll just like sit down and write the whole thing as opposed to like sitting and being like, okay, now what do I want? Like that's just, that process just doesn't work for me. Um, so I'm very excited that I had the time and the energy and the inspiration, um, to get this first chapter ready for my friends. Um, but moving on to chapter two, I'm anxious about getting it done by the end of February because I've got two trips in February. I have my first, um, assignments and exams to take. And so there's just like, there's really a lot going on and I am very overwhelmed. <laughs> uh, but you know, we will, we will see what happens. What I am learning from God right now, I definitely feel like I am in a season of prioritizing. I feel like I have to spend a good 30 to 45 minutes at the beginning of every day being like, what are the things that have to get done today? And then what are the wish list things? And then at the end of the day, being like, reevaluating what got done, planning for tomorrow. And then I also do the same thing on like a weekly basis, which I know is a lot. And that in itself is overwhelming to a lot of people, but like I'm super type A and highly organized. So it's kind of like, it's second nature to me. It's not difficult to do. Um, It's more just that it's time consuming. So that's just kind of I've got so many people in my inbox because of all the things I'm involved in. And I am in the process of um, stepping down from some of them and stepping back from others of them. But it's like in the process, it's like there's a timeline, right? So for example, like I am a, I'm an advisor for one of the undergraduate chapters of my sorority and I'm stepping down from that, but I have committed to completing the semester. So it's like, I keep telling people that I'm stepping down and I'm looking for them to start taking things off my plate and start trying to learn things because I'm not going to be here. And they're kind of looking at it as, oh, May is so far away. Like we still have you. So we're still like sending everything to you and like not trying to train anyone. And I've had this same issue pretty much every time I've quit a job. Like I try to give more than two weeks notice so that I can help train people and come up with a transition plan. But what I have have learned is that anytime that I give more than the two weeks, 
they are like, oh, there's all this time. Like you're still here to do the job. Everything's fine. And then they wait until the very last week and start scrambling. And then there's not time for me to properly transition things. And then I'm just like, well, it's not my problem because I don't work here anymore. (laughs) So just kind of in the midst of needing to do that, I am trying to give grace to people who don't think like me because if I was in a different position and not like leading the team and the team leader told me that like they were going, I would be doing everything I could to figure out how we are going to fill the gaps until that person is replaced. Um, But that's me. And that's, you know, I can't expect other people on my teams to feel the same way and to be doing that. So I definitely am working on giving grace to people that don't think like me. Um, The other thing that I think I'm learning from God right now is just kind of being in a season of preparing to stretch and grow. I'm trying to be really open-minded. I really like both of the classes that I'm taking in seminary this semester. I'm taking apologetics and outreach, which for those who don't know, it's like um, evangelism, like how to share the gospel. And I know that like a lot of people hate the word evangelism and hate the word apologetics. And all of a sudden that like makes you tense. And that is something that like on the first day of class, my teacher was like, who in here has a negative connotation associated with the word evangelism? Um, And we just kind of had open dialogue about like what our experiences with it have been. Um, And then I'm also taking covenant theology, which has been really interesting because we are doing things like defining knowledge and defining belief. And as you guys know, I love my definitions and my parents used to always complain when I was younger that I always play with semantics. And I'm like, it's not playing with semantics. It's that you and I are really and truly not saying the same thing. You think we're saying the same thing because we're using similar words or words that can have similar meanings, but we're actually saying totally different things. And I think that not enough people pull back and ask these questions. Um, And to not use the Bible just for those of you that don't read it or don't believe in it, and that's going to make you check out, I'm going to use Barbie as my example. So in the last two weeks, I have seen so many people on social media all up in arms about how Barbie was snubbed and how dare Margot not be nominated for anything, how dare Greta not be nominated for anything. And as you guys know, I love Barbie. Okay. I saw Barbie five times in the theater. (laughs) Like I'm obsessed with Barbie. Some of my favorite movies I've ever seen. But when it comes to like the awards, I am a film major. Okay. I went to film school and I do not care about film critics or awards. Like that's just not something that's ever interested me because at the end of the day, if a critic tells me that a movie is bad, that doesn't mean that I'm going to hate the movie. And as I've talked about this a little bit before, but it's possible to, um, to love a terrible movie and to hate a great movie. Like your subjective feelings about a movie are completely irrelevant to the objectivity of like, does the story have a beginning, middle and end? Is the story told? Is the story complex? Are characters growing? Does the sound design and the set design fit the story that's being told? Those are like all objective things. So typically, 
if I ever read reviews of a movie, it's usually if I didn't understand the movie and I want to know if other people were confused or I want it explained to me, or if it's something that I really, really love. And I'm like, I just want to know like if other people love this as much as I did, um, kind of thing. But it's also like, I know that like my mom and I have very opposite interests when it comes to film and TV. And my mom loved Killers of the Flower Moon. I am sure that Killers of the Flower Moon is a great movie. I'm also sure that I will not enjoy it. And because of that, I've chosen not to watch it. And my mom has told me how much she loved this movie multiple times, which solidifies for me that I should not watch it. And that's not to say that my mom shouldn't recommend movies to me or that I shouldn't recommend movies to her, but it's just to know that like we don't have the same tastes. So that's what helps confirm for me. I saw the trailer and I was like, mm, I don't think that one's for me. And then just hearing how much my mom loved it, I was like, yeah, it's not for me, which is fine. Like, you know, there are different movies for different kinds of people. So when people are like all up in arms about Barbie and the awards, I'm sitting here asking like, do you know how the Oscars work? Like, do you know what the criteria to get an Oscar is? Like, what is it that makes a movie eligible for an Oscar? What is it? What makes an actor eligible? Like, what are, what are those requirements? And then where is the bar of like, what what dictates the winner? And is the people, the, the board of the Oscars or whoever is voting, like, is it five people? Is it 30 people? And I'm asking this because I went to film school and I don't know. I have no idea what makes a movie or an actor qualify for an Oscar or what makes them win. So my thing is like, I can't hold an opinion on whether or not Margot Robbie should have been nominated for her performance in Barbie for an award that I don't even know what constitutes getting the award. And I also reviewed the list of all of the movies that were nominated in all of the categories. And I consider myself a movie buff. Like I go to the theater three times a month. Usually I see a lot of movies and scanning through the list of Oscar nominees. I have seen four of them. (laughs) So I'm just like, that's another piece for me where I feel like in order for me to be upset that Margot Robbie did not get a best actress nomination for her performance in Barbie, I would have had to see all of the other movies and critiqued the performances of the women who were nominated for Best Actress for their performances in those movies and hold the opinion that those performances were worse than Margot Robbie's performance in Barbie against the criteria that they're being evaluated against for Best Actress. And I don't have any of that information. So like, it's funny because so many of my friends were texting me being like, can you believe Barbie was so snubbed, like thinking that I was going to jump on the bandwagon because I love Barbie. And I was just like, no, I don't. I mean, I can't, I don't even want to say that I don't think Barbie was snubbed. I don't hold an opinion either way. Like I'm not upset that Margot and Greta didn't get the nominations and I'm not um, you know, like on, on either direction, because I don't have the information that I need to hold an opinion. And I don't care enough to do the research to be able to hold an opinion. So that's my example of what covenant theology is doing for me, where it's like, before we can hold a belief system, we have to understand like what 
even is belief and what even is knowledge. And then once we know that, it's like, okay, what is Christianity? And it's like, we have to understand all of these things before we can be trying to explain it to other people. And it's really interesting to me. The alarming part for me is that the there's not a whole lot of people in seminary, especially people like me who are just like random, like I'm a small group leader at my church. Like I have no desire to be a pastor. And I think that more people on my level should be going to seminary and learning this stuff because I think it would be really helpful because we are the people on the ground explaining things to people in day-to-day conversations more than pastors doing it on a weekly basis. Um, But, you know, seminary is expensive and it's just kind of like, okay, so if I learn this stuff, how many people am like I personally going to be able to help? Um, And that makes me anxious, but I'm trying to just trust that whatever God wants me to know, I'm going to know. And that's just kind of that. For the hard conversation of the week segment this week, I'm going to give you guys two examples because one of them is a conversation that I have not had yet and probably won't. And the other one wasn't fully a conversation. So I'm going to start with the one that wasn't fully a conversation. Um, my mom really loves this one podcast and sometimes the, she'll send me the episode and ask me to listen to it and usually comes with some type of messaging. That's like, this really spoke to me. It's really going to speak to you. Like, please, please, please take the time to listen to this. It's so important. Um, and as I mentioned at the top of the episode, I have a lot of podcasts in my queue. And that is in addition to all the books I want to read and the movies I want to watch and the TV shows I want to watch and the work that I have to actually do for both of my jobs and my two volunteer positions and for school. So I already have too much going on. Um, If you suggest something to me to spend my time on, and it's not already on my radar, the answer is probably no. And it's not because I don't like you, and it's not because I don't like your suggestion. It's that my time is spoken for. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry. And so my initial knee-jerk response, because I got this text from my mom in a moment that I was sitting here looking at like all of my different email accounts and all my different texting apps and just people asking and asking and asking for things. And I was going insane and like ready to scream. And then my mom pops in with an asking me to do something else. That's going to take me an hour that I was like, you know, I will add it to the queue, but just so you know, I'm already 15 episodes behind on my own regular podcasts that I would like to listen to. So I can't make any promises that I'm going to get to that. Um, and then I felt immediately terrible and I was like, oh my gosh, that was so rude. Um, and so a few minutes later I like sent her another message, um, which is what I wish I had started with. And I said, I love that you have this podcast that you love and I really appreciate that you want to share it with me. Um, maybe you could summarize it for me or give me like your your highlight points um in like a text message or something or maybe on the phone and then you and I can discuss it 
Um, and I don't really remember how I ended it, but that was just kind of how I approached it because one of my sisters does this a lot where she listens to a lot of podcasts and instead of texting me the podcast and asking me to listen to it, she will send me a message that says like, I was listening to this podcast this morning and here's what I learned. And I love that because she and I can, we then can have a conversation about it and she's texting me. So it's like, I can jump in the conversation on my own time. Um, and I don't have to take an hour to listen to the podcast to be able to talk to her about it. And if I choose to spend an hour to call her and discuss it, we can do that as well. And then after the conversation, if I am really intrigued by the podcast and I want to then add it to my queue, then I will. Um, And that is typically the best way. Like if there's something that you love that you really want me to um, take part in, like if you saw a movie and you're like, oh my gosh, Samantha would love this and you really want me to watch it, you are better off like next time you and I connect, hype the movie. Like just tell me how much you love the movie. And as you and I talk about it, if there are things that I'm hearing from you that I'm like, wow, I really think I would learn something from that. Or I really think that that would be really funny. And maybe I'll choose to spend my time on it. You're better off going that route than texting me and saying like, hey, I just watched this movie, you should watch it. (laughs) Because that to me is coming through is like just another request that I do not want in my inbox. Um, The other hard conversation that I need to have that I probably won't is with my therapist because um, I had to cancel my appointment last week because it was my first week of class and we were supposed to have orientation on Monday um, prior to the very first class, which was Monday evening. Um, Orientation was Monday during the day. And we had like freezing rain the night before. So they closed campus on Monday. They announced that at like eight o'clock in the morning that campus was closed. And then um, orientation was supposed to be at 1030. And at 10 o'clock, they sent out an update to say, because campus is closed today, we're moving orientation to tomorrow. Um, And so I texted her like right then and there to let her know that I had to reschedule because orientation was now at the same time as my therapy session. And because I was outside of her 48 hour window to cancel, like I was still charged for the appointment Um, and therapy is expensive and I'm upset. Like truly I'm upset and I'm angry with her for charging me because I've been with her for seven years and I've never missed an appointment And I feel like she should have given me grace. Granted, I didn't have a conversation with her about it because I know a lot of my friends like text their therapists and they have like mini conversations here and there. My therapist and I do not do that. Like anytime that we text each other, it's just like a um, one of us saying I need to reschedule and the other saying here's my availability and the other confirming like that's pretty much it. Um, And when when I was seeing her in person, like I would text her to be like, I'm here, (laughs) but Um, we don't have like conversations and I don't really know. Um, I feel like you shouldn't have like conversations with your therapist outside of therapy because then it can feel like you're sliding into friend territory and people get confused. And so I just don't want to deal with that at all. So I just don't try to talk to her outside of therapy. Um, but because of that, all I really said was I need to reschedule. Like I didn't give her like all of the details of why I needed to reschedule. Um, but she also didn't ask 
and I am upset and I feel like I should not have been charged. And I kind of want to, um, I want to dispute the charge, but at the same time, I feel like I have other things that I need to discuss in therapy tomorrow. So I'm trying to think like I can dispute the charge at the top of my session, but if it doesn't go well, then I'm going to be pissed off and I'm not going to, it's not going to be productive for me to talk about the other things that I want to talk about. And so then I'm like, okay, I could take some time to do it at the end of the session, but then still, if it doesn't go well, if she's like, I hear you, but this is my policy and you've been charged like the, that's the end of it. Um, I'm going to be pissed off and I'm kind of so mad about it that I don't want to see her anymore, which I know is absurd because I've been seeing her for years and she's great and I love her and I love working with her. Um, and I don't think that this little thing should be like the thing that ends our working relationship, you know, that feels absurd to me. But at the same time, I am like upset about it. So I definitely need to discuss it with her because I can't be going to therapy and be pissed off at my therapist. Um, so I'll probably, I guess I'll let you guys know next week <laughs> if I have the conversation or not. Um, I could totally wake up tomorrow and just be over it and not be mad anymore. Um, but this happened last Monday and I'm still mad about it. So, well, actually no, cause I just, the, um, like I canceled on Monday, the appointment was Tuesday and I got charged on Friday. So I think that also led to it is that, that since the charge, since she waited a few days to charge me, I was thinking like, Oh, maybe she like is giving me grace because I've never missed an appointment in all these years. Um, and I doubt that she like forgot or anything, you know, she probably was doing, all of her charge. She probably was sitting and just charging everyone for the week. And like, I doubt she even like deeply thought about the fact that I had to cancel and was outside the window or whatever. I think she probably had, had a list of like who, who's being charged this week and just like did all of that. And you know, like whatever, now I'm doing too much work of like trying to assume what she was thinking and feeling, which is what she would tell me (laughs) if I were talking to her about it. She'd be like, just ask. Um, so yeah, I'll let you guys know how that goes. Um, but that's probably not helpful for any of you that needs to have a hard conversation this week. The whole point is for me to like have a hard conversation so that it can inspire you to have one. Um, but I guess maybe it's also helpful to remind you that I too struggle to have the hard conversations and sometimes they don't happen because I'm too scared of the response, um, or whatever it is moving into our movie recommendations of the week. Okay. I have two today because the first one is going to not be for most of you. Um, so my first movie recommendation is Saltburn on prime video. I'm sure most of you have seen a bunch of scenes already on TikTok and Instagram reels and whatever. Um, I think this is such a good movie. Like, I just think it's really well done. I think the story is interesting. All of the acting is 11 out of 10, like just top notch performances. Um, but this is not for everyone because it's very disturbing. So if you are like my mom or really any of my family members, uh, any of my immediate family members, so I'm really just talking like mom, dad, and my sisters, I would highly advise them against watching Saltburn because I think that it would just disturb them and not in a way that they're like, I appreciate 
why that was so gross. <laughs> like, I think they would just be like, that's gross. Like, why would somebody put that on TV? <laughs> like, so if you are in my immediate family listening to this, don't watch Saltburn. Just I'm advising you against it. Um, and so if you are the kind of person that really loves like an art film, um, like a, a very niche type thriller and you are not very squeamish or easily disturbed, go for it. If you are easily disturbed, if you are the type of person who like doesn't like sex scenes and are bothered by bodily fluids and nudity, skip it. Um, my other recommendation for this week is Junction on Apple TV. This one's not streaming on Apple TV. You do have to, um, rent it or buy it a thousand percent. It is worth the money. I promise you. Like, I think it's really an important movie for everyone to see. It's about the opioid crisis. It is Brian Greenberg's directorial debut. And if you are a One Tree Hill fan, um, that is Jake Jagelski. And Sophia Bush is also in the movie. So that's really fun. Just all, there's a bunch of like, Jamie Chung is in this movie. Hill Harper is in this movie. Josh Peck is in this movie. Like Josh Peck is just showing up everywhere. And I'm always confused, which I feel bad because I'm like, I know that you're an actor and I think that you're a good actor. So I shouldn't be confused when I see you in a movie. But it's like every time I'm like, What's Josh Peck doing here? Like, if you guys saw Oppenheimer, I was taken out of the movie because I saw Josh Peck (laughs) and I saw him for like a second. And then me and my friend Sarah, who saw Oppenheimer with me, we spent the next 30 minutes debating whether or not that was Josh Peck (laughs) because he then was, he wasn't in like the beginning of the movie. And then he like walked through the frame and then he wasn't there for the next like 30 minutes. And then he pops back up and he is like a prominent character in that movie. And he's actually really important. And we missed so much of the movie because we were like, was that Josh Peck? If that wasn't Josh Peck, there's a guy that looks really similar to Josh Peck in this movie. Like, and we were just so like, what's Josh from Drake and Josh doing here? Um, but anyway, back to Junction. It's a very, very heart wrenching film about the opioid crisis. And it tells, it's got, I think three different stories being told in parallel. So you've got like a guy who was addicted to, to the opioids and just kind of how that affects his life. You have a doctor who started prescribing them when she didn't know that they were addictive. And then after finding that out, just kind of how that affects her practice. Um, And then also the company that um, I think it's uh, the company that originally manufactured Oxy and just kind of how it plays out of whether it was mismarketed or intentionally marketed the way that it was. Um, and I just, I thought it was so interesting. It's so well done. It's so sad. So I will say that like, it's, it's a very sad movie. So if you're in a mood for like a rom-com, don't watch either of these movies. (laughs) Um, but I do, I highly recommend Junction because I think it's, it's really powerful and thought provoking. And I think it, it showcases something that everybody should know about. Oh, Hey, under 45 minutes today. We did it. Okay. Bye. Well, not-
here to sugarcoat I'm sorry about you Too much shelter causes pain Let's just be real honest Things are gonna knock you down Avoidance will not help you out Let's talk it through, you me and you Let's keep it real honest